Blessed St. Peter tells us in his first letter that we should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that we have, doing so with gentleness and respect. And what I want to do this morning is to give you a reason for the hope that I have. And I hope that this hope will be a hope that you have as well. But I have to make it clear up front that what I'm talking about is hope, not optimism. They say that an optimist sees the glass as half full and a pessimist sees the glass as half empty and an engineer sees the glass as twice as big as it needs to be. But hope is definitely not the same thing as optimism. These words are from Václav Havel, the former president of the Czech Republic, who before that was a playwright and a dissident, frequently persecuted and jailed by the communist authorities in Czechoslovakia. He said, hope is definitely not the same thing as optimism. It's not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense regardless of how it turns out. Hope is not the conviction that something will turn out well. It's the certainty that something makes sense regardless of how it turns out. See, optimism is a decision to see the future through rose-colored glasses. It's an attitude of the mind that is determined to see the future in a way that will be better than the present. An optimist is sure that things will turn out, which is why an optimist can always say, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Don't worry, things will get better. I recently did one of those inventories. I'm not an optimist. And this inventory said that my opportunities in life would be limited because of the fact that I am not optimistic. As I like to tell my friends who are optimists, I don't have that problem. But I am hopeful. And I'm hopeful because of what Paul says, because of what Jesus says. Paul says in our text this morning, that since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What ridiculously good news that is. Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That news was too good for some of the folks who transmitted this text along the way. We do have some variant readings of Paul's letter to the Romans and copies that people made over the years, of course, before we had Xerox machines, before we had printing presses. Every copy of this letter had to be written out by hand. And along the way, there was somebody who said, it can't possibly be true that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul must have said, and it's only a change of one vowel in the Greek, it should be, let us have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 2, let us rejoice in the hope of God. And then in verse 3, not only so, let us also rejoice in our sufferings. But that's not what Paul wrote. No, Paul wrote that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And right now, because of that, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not just that, we boast in our sufferings. Why? Well, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. You see, Paul goes on to say, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I mean, very, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a really good man someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates His love for us in this way, His own love in this way, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A lot of people think about the message that we preach from pulpits like this one as a message about getting your act together, about learning how to straighten up and fly right. But that's not the gospel, and that's not the word that we preach. No, what we preach is, as Robert Farrar Capon said, not that you need to straighten up and fly right, but you need to realize that your life has the glide path of a broken Coke bottle. What you need is not a personal trainer. What you need is not somebody who can be your life coach. What you need is an embalmer or, however impossibly, someone who can raise the dead. Hubble also says about hope that it's not prognostication. Hope is not a guess about what the future will look like. Hope, rather, is an orientation of the spirit. It's an orientation of the heart. It transcends the world that is immediately experienced and is anchored somewhere beyond its horizons. Now, Václav Havel was not a Christian. He was an atheist. At times he spoke with admiration about the kind of faith that Christians had that he never felt like he could muster. But he's right to identify that this hope is transcendent and it has to be anchored somewhere beyond the horizon of what we immediately experience. The woman who spoke to Jesus at the well said, yeah, we know that the time is going to come when Messiah shows up and he'll sort everything out. Jesus said, you're looking at him. See, the reason we can have hope in the future 
is that Christ is with us now in the present. We can have hope in the future because we can be confident that God is going to sort everything out, that there will come a day when there is no crying, no pain. Nobody will exploit anyone else. There will no longer be disease such as the one we are now faced with. One day that will all be wiped away. But until that day comes, we have our present confidence in the presence of the living God within us and among us. There's a sense in which hope is that bridge that we can travel between the present and the future because it is anchored in the present presence of God and in our future confidence that He's got the whole world in His hands. And that's why, as Paul says, we can rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so, my brothers and sisters, I tell you with confidence that hope does not disappoint because it is based not in our own selves or in our own expectations of what might happen. It's not based in quality response among public health professionals or in effective social distancing, though both are very important, and we're practicing them here at St. Andrews. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, the best attitude of mind, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so our response in light of all this is the same that Martin Luther gave 500 years ago in response to a much deadlier plague. What are you going to do in the face of plague, he was asked. He says, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate. I'll purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance infect and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me. And I've done what he's expected of me, and so I'm not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely. Amen.